Henry and Franny had a great love story. Henry's first wife died very young, and a few years later, he married Franny. And for 18 years, they developed this wonderful life together in their hometown of Cambridge, Massachusetts. They had six children, and all was well. But then one afternoon in July of 1861, Henry was wakened from a nap by Franny's desperate screams from the other room. Somehow, while sealing envelopes with hot wax, her dress had caught on fire, and she was in flames. He attempted to put out the flames with a rug and then with his own body, but was really unsuccessful in helping her at all. And Franny died the next day from her severe burns. Henry was burned so badly he could not even attend her funeral service. After Franny's death, Henry sank into a deep depression. In the Christmas of 1862, he wrote in his journal, Merry Christmas, save the children, but that is no more for me. He grieved so deeply that he actually feared he was going to go insane from the grief and from the pressure of raising his six children, all of them at that point under the age of 18. You may recognize those dates, 1861, 1862, as the, the time of the American Civil War. Uh, in 1863, his son Charlie secretly left the house, traveled by train to join President Lincoln's Union Army. He was commissioned a lieutenant in the 1st uh, Massachusetts Cavalry, and in November of 1863, while eating alone one night, Henry received a telegram that Charlie had been shot in battle. The bullet had entered his left shoulder, exited out his right side, nearly missed his spine, but a little bit. He was terribly wounded, transported back home, began the very long process of healing. So Henry was grieving. The nation was in turmoil. His son was injured. And on Friday, December 25th, here the church bells begin to peel out the the announcement of Christmas Day. And Henry just couldn't make the pieces of that world he was in fit with the message of Christmas. And as he thought, the words of a poem began to form in his mind, which is later published under his full name, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, one of our great poets. Later put to a song, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, you and I know that feeling, don't we? The feeling of looking around thinking there's no peace on earth. You go looking for peace on earth this Christmas and what you see are the the horrors of this continuing war in Ukraine. Illnesses and so many requiring long-term care. There's an ongoing famine in the Sudan. There's government in chaos. There's citizens in uprising and divided, not just here, but around the world. There's terrorism in Niger. There's a low-level anger in the atmosphere about everything. There's violence, random shootings, another one in a mall of Christmas shoppers just a few days ago. There's slavery worldwide. 22 million people, more than at any time in history, are enslaved this morning. Many of them children enslaved for sex trafficking. Families are in turmoil. 27% of the families in the United States this Christmas say that they are estranged from some member of their family. I mean, you look around, it feels like this whole thing is just splintering apart like a, a cheap piece of furniture. 
and all the romantic Hallmark movies and all the hot cocoa and all the glittery lights in all the world don't slow it down. It's hard to see peace. It's hard to hear peace. It's hard to believe peace. It's easy to despair, become cynical or, or fatalistic. It's like it's all fog and shadow. There's no sunrise around us, but our hearts still ache for it. We ache for this peace. But what exactly is it that we're aching for? It's not just an absence of conflict, this peace, or, or of, of pain or fear or trouble. Here's the way to think about peace. Peace is the presence of a settled sense of wholeness and security accompanied by a soul-deep confidence that in God, with God, all will be well. This idea of wholeness is at the root of what the Jewish people call shalom. That things aren't splintered and just separated all over everywhere, but they are all together and they're, they're whole and they're oriented to the realities of how God designed the world to be. He designed to be good and beautiful and true. This time of year ramps up our longing for that kind of wholeness. We, we hope having Instagrammable holiday gatherings will make us feel it. We, we buy gifts that promise us that we'll have some sense of wholeness and completeness. Even our Christmas movies tap into this. No matter how many times we've seen it, we want Clark to get the bonus check and build the pool. <laughs> No matter how many times we've seen it, we want Ralphie to be the hero of his dreams. We want Buddy the Elf to settle his daddy issues. We want George Bailey to get out of Bedford Falls and travel the world. We want them to be whole and secure because we want to believe it's possible for us to be whole and secure and at peace. I mean, in a world that fights peace at every turn, how is that possible? It's not going to come by what we have or by what we produce. All our scrambling to fix it hasn't produced. It's not going to because we don't have the resources that it takes to have that kind of peace. I mean, if, if peace comes, it has to come from outside us, outside our world, outside our world system, outside of our, what we can produce, outside of our products. It's Christmas morning. Why, why are we here we're here because angels from heaven burst into this sad, weary, peaceless, anxious, fearful world with an announcement from the king of the universe. There's good news for everybody. Here's what he said. Unto you is born this day a savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace among people with whom he is pleased. Peace, goodwill, God's heart for people is peace. The question I want to raise this morning is this. How does the, the Christmas angel's announcement of peace mesh with the reality of the world as we know it, as we experience it right now? What difference, real difference does this make beyond the two or three days right around Christmas when we read that passage? What I hope for us to see this morning is that it's so much more than a nice story grandpa may read on Christmas Eve. Uh, this has real power to change everything. But the only way to get at that is to hear the story behind the story. 800 years before that night in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah foretold the birth of a baby. They'll be born to a, a virgin teenage girl. But like all prophecies, 
in the Bible. It meant something in that day as well as pointing ahead to a future event. So we're going to be in, in Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, and this is Isaiah's writing. He's God's spokesman speaking to God's people. And, and there's a context in the life. The people of God were experiencing deep trouble and difficulty. If you go back to the last part of chapter 8, it says uh, that uh, the people there uh, were, were enraged, right? Uh, it says that they, they were greatly distressed. And the last verse of chapter 8 says, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. That's what they were experiencing. There was conflict and pain and confusion, fear and trouble. It was all shadow and fog. There was no sunrise. And in that world, a baby was born. It signaled something to those people and points ahead to what was going to happen at Christmas. Down in verse 2 of, of chapter 9, it says, But the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. And the great light they saw was in this baby, but not as any baby, God's anointed one, the Messiah, God's son who had come, the one who is the prince of heaven. We're looking at this for the past several weeks, God's prince of heaven. Christmas celebrates his entry, his birth into the world. But you know, right, that he didn't stay a baby. He wasn't this for his whole life, tiny six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, right? That's not who he stayed. We've been looking at who did he become? What did he promise that he would do. And so in this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, I want to hear what he has to say. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? And uh, let's read this together. These verses you've heard these many weeks, others read them. Let's read them together. Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 6. Let's read together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. So we're focusing on that last little one, that he is the Prince of Peace. So what I want you to this morning, first of all, is that the Christ of Christmas is our only true source of peace. It says there, he is the Prince of Peace. So let's slow down, kind of let that sink in. He is the, the Prince. Now, certainly that's a description of royalty. It's a title. But not like we tend to think of titles kind of in rank. There's king, queen, and prince, and there's others down line. Uh, we tend to think of it like, like Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles. For seven decades, he was, he was the Prince of Wales until Queen Elizabeth died last summer, and he ascended to become a King Charles. Britain has one monarch at a time. That's the way this works. God is not like that with rankings in, the, in, the, in, in, in heaven. God exists as one God in three persons who share one essence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
each fully God, each possessing all the qualities of God, each eternally existing as God at all times without diminishing. So when we talk about God the Son, who is God's Messiah, this is not the God who, who is the prince. This is not God who is the king in waiting. The prince of heaven, God's Son, is not God Jr., no, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So the prince is, is one who has royal, and royal majesty in him, but also this is an ascription of His authority. That Christ is a sovereign ruler over all things. Why is He the ruler over all things? Well, because He created everything. Colossians 1 says, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Now creation always gives whoever the creator is the authority because he owns it all. He established the design. He defines the purpose for which it was created for all things, including human beings. This is true of Christ. Abraham Kuyper years ago said this, there's not one square inch of all creation over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not declare mine. And that's you and that's me and everybody in your family and everybody in the world and every situation, every circumstance, he declares this is, this is mine. He has authority because he created everything, but also because he sustains everything. Colossians goes on to say that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He does that, Hebrews says, by the word of his power. Christ holds everything we know as reality together. If he lets go or stops speaking, exists for a millisecond, everything flies apart and ceases to exist and disappears. Our only hope for wholeness in our lives, in our families, in our world is in his hands under his voice of authority. He's got the whole world in his hands, the old spiritual says. He holds all that. Now here's the astonishing mystery of Christmas. That this king who is fully God, who is full of majesty and eternity and authority and sustaining power is Emmanuel, God with us. He's moved in with us into this world, fully God, fully man, into the same mess of a world. He moved in to experience it of conflict and pain and fear and trouble. He didn't watch it from a distance. Oh, look at that over there. No, he lived in a time we lived under a brutal occupying army. Jesus knew what it was in order to live every single day of life where the society was beset by political considerations. He lived in that world. Jesus uh, knew what relational pain was, estrangement from family and betrayal by friends. He engaged with sickness and with death and with grief and loss and weariness. He sensed the weariness of a world that was disoriented. That means he knows what it's like to long for and ache for wholeness and security. So the prince is one of authority and majesty who has moved into our world, but he is the prince of peace, it says. He's the one of peace. Peace belongs to him. Christ owns peace in full. He holds the whole sphere of anything that can be called peace. He has the authority to declare peace, but also peace emerges from him 
only. He holds all the distribution rights for peace. He carries within himself all that is necessary for our peace. We're in a world where all kinds of people and circumstances and products claim to and appeal to you and me and say, come, have me, buy me, own me, experience me, be in relation with me, and then you'll have peace. Then everything will be together. But they always prove to be imposters. Only Christ has enough power to deal with all the mess of this world and to bring peace through who he is and through what he does. In his life, his death, and resurrection, apart from him, there is no possibility of peace. He has the power to activate peace. So wherever he is, peace is. We sang a song last night at our Christmas Eve services. Hope has a name. So does peace. Peace has a name. His name is Jesus. He brings that peace to us. He is the Prince of Peace as the only source of our peace. But also, would you notice that the Christ of Christmas is our all-sufficient supply of peace. Each of us wrestle with an interlocking series of challenges to our experience of peace, to our soul's peace. But look at the extent of the promise. The first part of verse 7. Of the increase of his government, his authority, what he's in charge of, and of peace as a result of that, there will be no end. No end. Now, how far does that reach? What is the extent of that? Well, the, he deals with the most important thing first. That he is sufficient to supply peace in our battle with God. So I don't think I'm in a battle with God. I, you know, that's kind of the way that it is. But, but some of us here this morning, even on Christmas morning, are in a battle with God and refuse to admit it. Because the Bible describes our default setting as human beings. Here's how it describes it in Romans 8. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Don't submit to what God wants. Now that's what sin is. All have sinned. It's true of all human beings. Sin is a stubborn resistance to the king of the universe. It's saying to God, I want me, not you, to be on the throne of the universe. I want me, not you, to be in charge of all things. I want me, not you, to define what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's happy, what's sad. I don't really trust you. I don't want to submit to your ways. But you got to understand, that's not the way God designed humanity to work. When he designed human life, he had a certain thing in mind. It's opposite of that. And the result is, if we live that way, it is like rubbing our hand against the grain on wood. And you're going to get a splinter. And left unattended, that splinter will lead to infection. And with infection, there comes disease that declares war on our body. Living in opposition to God, ignoring God, leaving God out of our life all the rest of the year, except maybe Christmas and Easter, leaving God out of all the consideration of our life is a splinter of our soul that will get infected and the infection will get in our bloodstream and our soul and affect every part of our lives. It shows up in all kinds of ways. It threatens our life. It prevents our peace. And the only solution to, to that. The only way to health is to remove the splinter of sin and to get rid of the infection. How is that possible? Christmas. 
Because, because the baby we celebrate, it turns out he came to heal spiritually sick people. He said, I didn't come to people who had their act together. I didn't come to people who know it all already about me. I didn't come to people who, who've got everything. I came from people who are spiritually sick and infected with their own sin. He was the only way out of the war with God and to heal our souls. This is what the scripture says in 1 Timothy. There is one God and one mediator or go-between who can reconcile, put back together God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Now, how did he do that? Well, he lived the life we would not, completely in submission to God's ways at all times. He died the death we should have died. He took the splinters of all of our sin and all the infection that our sin and our choices took on himself. And he really died and then he really rose again with the power of a new life. Now, why would he do that? He did that to offer healing for your soul. To offer forgiveness for your sin, a fresh start with God, access to his life. And all of that he offers as a free gift of his ferocious love for you. So Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. He offers it to you for free. He doesn't ask anything. He offers it to you. Now, and here's the weird thing. You're going to exchange gifts maybe later today with family and friends. And it'd be a weird thing if somebody handed you a gift with your name on it and they just took it but never opened it and never looked at it. Said, oh, great. Set it to the side. No. You open the gift. How do you open a gift that the almighty God gives you? You recognize I desperately need him. And so I repent of my sin. I repent. I'm going to turn away. I'm saying that's not the way to live. I've been living in a way that doesn't match who God is. I'm going to turn my back on that. And I'm going to trust or believe that the good news of Jesus at Christmas is good news for me. That I need it. That I need a God to put me, a, a, a Savior to put me right with God. So I repent and I, and I believe in him. What's the result of that? If you will do that, here's the result. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It puts that relationship right again. The relationship with our creator who becomes our heavenly father. Christ alone is our peace. Now here's the thing you got to understand. This has got to come first because it's the biggest and the best and the most important thing about you. And, and it's got to come first or there's no hope for peace in any other area of life outside of that. There's no access to any other resources or peace outside of that. Christmas is a great time to receive this Christ who came as the Savior for you. The Savior for the world be the Savior for you. So you trust him. This Christmas. So he puts things right in that way. He's all sufficient for that, but also he's all sufficient in our battles within us and around us. Because we struggle with peace, many of us, even those of us who have already entered a relationship with Christ, in dealing with the circumstances of life. I mean, stuff happens. 
right? Things get confusing. They don't work out the way we expected. Um, you, you get ambushed by something you didn't see coming and it punches you from the side. The news of the world is troubling. You have relationships that get sideways. You have conflict within your family or with coworkers. So many things that we need to address. We find ourselves running out of resources to be able to address those things. And one after another, those things weasel their way into our minds and rob our peace. Now, we experience this lack of peace and we call it different things. We call it anxiety. We call it being overwhelmed. We call it I'm a little blue or a little down or a little depressed. Uh, I'm feeling work stress or performance stresses for school. I have fear of fill in the blank of whatever that is. And we want to find a way to fix that. We want to push that. We don't like that feeling. We want to push it away. And so we find ways to deal with the thing that is robbing our peace. So some of us have chosen to engage with things that we are addicted to. Some of us are addicted to work because it's our way of trying to push back that which makes us feel no peace. Others of us are addicted to food or to a glass of wine or to some pills, or to, or to, uh, to shopping, call it retail therapy. If I just buy something, it'll make me feel a little better. Or we're, we're addicted to busyness. I'll just keep spending enough to where I don't have to stop and think about what's really going on inside my heart. Others of us deal with this by avoiding or denying some things. Others of, of us obsess over other things. Or here's one. Uh, we, we design multiple systems to control the things we don't think we can control. And if I can just organize my life a little better, if I can just check a few more boxes in the right order, I think I can get a control of this thing and then I'll feel a sense of peace or wholeness putting all the pieces together in, in that way. And so th those responses become a way of life for us, the way we handle life in the world. The storms keep coming we can't get out of the way, so we just paddle harder. Remember the disciples one time with Jesus caught in the boat in the storm. They're paddling hard, right? But they're sinking faster. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. They went and woke him up, said, don't you care? We're all going to die here. Jesus stands up in the middle of the raging storm and just says, peace, be still. And instantly, See, they've been raging, became like glass in that moment. You see, just like us, the disciples knew that storm and they struggled in it. And just like us, they forgot what we forgot, what we forget. That Jesus is with us. Catch this. And the storm knows Jesus. And he's bigger and he's stronger so Jesus come to say to us, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Trust me, in every circumstance, what I have is better than what the world offers. In every circumstance, what I have for you is better than what your solutions can produce. Christ himself is your only source of peace, your all-sufficient supply of peace. And ultimately, the Christ of Christmas is our certain hope 
of eternal peace. You read the rest of verse 7 there, you realize it's pointing to this ultimate promise. It wasn't just extending to every kind of circumstance, but to, to all time, for all eternity. It's the Advent we've been celebrating is not just about Jesus' first coming in Bethlehem, but about his second coming, that he will come again. He will come into this world visibly and physically. The first time he came as a savior to die. The second time he will come as a king to reign. And Christ will reign as king in a new heaven and a new earth. And everything there is going to be as God designed it from the beginning. This is how it's described. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is the place Jesus is preparing for his family, for those in relationship with him. This is the atmosphere we will enjoy forever. Everything that now robs our peace in this tired, broken world will be removed from us. We will live in perfect shalom of Jesus, perfect wholeness, perfect satisfaction. There'll be no more darkness, no more shadow, and no more fog in us or around us. There will only be sunrise for eternity, for he will be our light. How do we know this? How can we be sure this will happen? The last part of verse 7 says, the Lord of the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will accomplish this. He's committed. There's divine emotion and joy invested in making this happen. There's divine energy and unlimited power brought to bear to make it happen. The sovereign Lord does all he pleases. No one stops him. He promised this is what he would give us. And our King Jesus never lies. He tells the truth that we can hold on to. So no matter how difficult, how stressful, how peaceless life can sometimes be, because Jesus came, we can be sure that our ultimate experience will be what a saint of another time once said, when Julian said, all shall be well. And all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. So this Christmas, in your life circumstances, the Prince of Peace offers a settled sense of wholeness and security. Secured by a soul deep confidence that in God, with God, all will be well. Here with the angels are singing. Peace among those on whom his favor rests, his good will towards you. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know what pleases him? Trusting him to be your only source, your all-sufficient supply, and your forever hope of peace. Will you trust him today? Maybe for the first time ever, or in that particular situation that has just been eating your lunch for way too long. If you'll trust him, then you can join the very end of our friend Henry's song. 
where he said, then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's pray together. So if you're here this morning and you have recognized that you have no relationship with the Christ of Christmas. Let this be your day. Cry out to him and tell him you've recognized that you've been living your life against the grain. You can sense the infection in you. You want to be healed. You want to be whole. You want to turn away from that and trust that Jesus alone is the way to give you life and hope. And he promises that all who call in the name of the Lord will be rescued. And when you're rescued, he'll put you right with your creator and give you peace. If you're here today and you already know him, would you just release to him that one area in your life that is most robbing your peace right now and tell him, you want to trust him to give you peace there. There's pastors and others around that you can talk to and pray with as we leave today if you'd like to talk to somebody further. But Lord, we are grateful that you are the king of peace, that you are the prince of all things good. And all these things we've looked at for these weeks, Lord, that you are the wonderful counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Help us, Lord, to trust you with all we have for our life now and for our forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray.